So this morning, what I want to talk about is kind of a continuing message as to what we did last Sunday, talking about heaven's gifts. Last Sunday, we spoke about the fact that um, God is the gift giver, and all things come from him. So today, I want to talk about the process of receiving gifts. Typically, gifts are given by those that are in relationship with each other. Right? I mean, if I have a relationship with you, I probably will give you a gift. If I have no relationship with you, why would I give you a gift? Right? So normally gifts are given by people as an expression of gratitude and thanks and appreciation because we have a relationship with them. Amen? But I want to say up front here that the gifts of heaven are not that way. In fact, God gave us the gift of Jesus before we ever had relationship with him in the hopes that we would have a relationship with him. Isn't that awesome? We said this last week, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he said, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the ultimate gift, is when someone will give you a gift and you don't deserve it. Obviously, God gave us a gift that we didn't deserve. And the gift of Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. And that's the beautiful part about heavenly gifts is that they're not just for the moment, they're for eternity. Jesus didn't die just for the moment. He died for eternity. And that is the gift then that as we share it with others, it keeps giving through us as well. And that's the beautiful thing about it. Last week, we talked about the process of the gift giving is that every gift has a reason, every gift has a source, and every gift is given for to meet a need. Whether that need is just pleasure or actually life-sustaining, there are purposes in giving gifts. We also talked about the fact is that God gave heaven's best for us to redeem us because we are earth's best. Whether we realize it or not, even in our ugliness and even in our sinful nature, we are created in the image of God. Therefore, we are created as God's best. And it took heaven's best, Jesus, to redeem earth's best, us, even in our ugliness and even in our sinful nature. So that's the, that's the question or that's the um, purpose of the gift. Now, today, I want to take the next step. I want to look at it from the perspective of what does it look like for us to receive the gift? What's the process of receiving gifts? And again, I think it's a three-step process. I think, first of all, there is the phase or the step of anticipation of the gift. And then there is the step of appreciation for the gift. And then finally, it goes into a thankfulness for the gift. And I want to talk about each one of these stages because I think they're all very important and I think they have a spiritual principle as well. So let's talk about anticipation. I know that for us, most of the joy of the Christmas day is in that it's much more than just a day, it's a season. And for many people, it's the, uh, it's the anticipation of Christmas is probably more joyful than the actual event itself. <laughs> I mean, go back to um, Thanksgiving season, people started putting up Christmas lights. And, of course, the stores market it because it's, uh, you know, the beginning of their uh, black season or the beginning of their profits because at the end of the year is where they make the profits and a lot of it come into Christmas season, right? So they're anticipating what Christmas does. 
the Promise FM radio station starts playing Christmas music. The 31 Days of Christmas starts on, Thursday, or starts on Thanksgiving Day, and it goes all the way through uh, New Year's Day. People start buying and wrapping gifts early. I mean, if you're smart, you'll start buying gifts way before this season because that's when they're less expensive and maybe you get the better selection. So people are, are, are anticipating Christmas a long ways before Christmas ever gets here. And I think for some, I think it is safe to say that many people, or some people at least, tend to enjoy the process or the anticipation of Christmas more than the actual day itself. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I just think it's kind of factual. I just think that's the reality of it all. And there is a spiritual application of this because when we anticipate spiritually what's happening as well, that there is a sense of anticipation that comes. And I think that really leads us to how we live through this life because I know we all understand the tribulations of living, don't we? We all have them. No one escapes. No one lives through this world and escapes the fact that there's problems. We all have problems in our life, and we were told we were going to have problems. Jesus said we were going to have problems in his life. So that's not, that's not a surprise to any of us that we have issues or we have concerns. And I also think that we all want to know that there's something bigger in life than just what I see. I want to know, I want to talk about the, the bigger picture in life more than just what um, the moment brings. Um, I know there's a, there was a commercial years ago, it's not on the TV anymore, but there was a beer commercial and it says, you know, go for the gusto of life. I don't remember what that beer was, but um, I remember the commercial. I remember the message was, go for all you can get because you only go around once. So go for the gusto, go for all of it. And I don't think that's bad. I don't think that's neg- negative to, to go for and, and to try to glean everything we can out of life. But there's more to life than what we can get out of it in our own right. Life doesn't have to be bleak to be meaningless. You can have a lot of money and life can still be meaningless. It's not what we hold in our hands or in our pocketbooks or in our bank accounts that gives life purpose. If it did, then why do we see people that have it all still commit suicide? Why do we have those that, are, that and they still overdose on drugs and they still do bad things and they end up maybe cutting their life short because it wasn't enough for them, was it? So it's not about what we have. God's word teaches that there's much more to living than just living for what we can get in this temporary world. Everything we can see, everything our five senses are familiar with will burn up. Nothing will survive, right? It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So there's nothing that's going to escape this world that's without being judged by God and be destroyed in this way. And this isn't a doomsday message. I'm not going there. Um, this is a, a message that is building up a level of spiritual anticipation, however, for what God has in store for us. Because what he has in store is so much more than what we can get on our own anyways. So let's not even try to get it on our own. Let's just try, let's just surrender our hearts to God sooner than later. And the sooner we do, the more we have in store. 
Peter goes on in the same um, chapter, 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 11 through 13, he tells us then how should we live knowing that everything is going to disappear. He says in, in verse 11, he says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, see that anticipation is building, right? The day, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But you, but us, keep on with his promise. We are looking forward, there's that anticipation, to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. There's nothing here that's a doomsday message. Peter is not a, 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 this is not a negative message. This is a message building the anticipation of what God has in store for us. So with this information, what kind of lives should we be living? He goes on in chapter 3, verse 14. The next verse says, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, since I've built up this level of anticipation for you, Here's how you should live. He says, make every effort to be, to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. What a good message. What is Peter really saying here? He's really telling us that we, we live in this world that's well, good and bad. It has all the good with it and all the bad with it. We're to live here, the best way to live in it, that we can enjoy its splendor, is that we live in a holy and spotless way. To be blameless, to be above the fray of what this world offers. Then when I do that, I'm living in salvation. I'm living in a way that really is what the world would call boring, I call exciting. Because I don't have the regrets that the world offers. I don't have the day after effect of what last night party was, right? I don't have to deal with that because I'm living above that and I'm more able to enjoy that. I mean, it really is more fun to be a Christian, to be both feet in and, and absorbed in what God has than to, to walk the fence and to be a Christian when you're in church and be the world when you're in the world. That, there's no joy there. There's a lot of angst. So living this way, and quite honestly, listen, living this way, living a holy way, is really a precursor to what God has in store for us. You know, we can look at what's happening right now in the world. We can take a look at, you know, end time events that we've been talking about and we clearly believe that we're living in right now. And we can look at, you know, what's happening with the vaccine and the mandates. And we can look at, you know, they're um, talking about if you don't have the vaccine, then you can't get someplace. It's the way to get in. It's really a precursor to the mark of the beast. It's really a precursor to what it's going to be like living under the rule of the Antichrist. So if we can see that that way, then let's look at living a holy life and a blameless life and a spotless life as a precursor to what it's going to be like in heaven. And, to, and how much joy we're going to have and how fulfilling it's going to be when we can live that way. Paul talks about it as well in Philippians chapter 3. Now remember, Paul in this time, he was a 
prior to his conversion, he was the, the Jew among Jews. He was the up and rising, up and coming um, the Jewish leader. He probably would have had much authority. He did have much authority and probably would have gained much more if he would have stayed in that, in that realm if he would have been a Jewish zealot because that was his lifestyle. And he had everything going for him. He had lots of money. He was married. He had all the, all the benefits of being a Jewish leader. And believe me, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were not living a skimpy lifestyle. They made a lot of money off the Jewish religion. That's why they fought the coming of Jesus so much because it was threatening their lifestyle. It was threatening who they were and their power base. And Paul was one of them. And he would have been very successful. And he would have been probably one of the highest ranking Jewish officials by the end of his life. He would have had everything. He would have been, as, as looking at him today in today's vernacular, he would have been a billionaire. He would have been one of the powerful elites. Right? Then he met Jesus. <laughs> and then he met Jesus, and his life changed. And you know what? And it can change for any of us like that too. But this is what he says in Philippians chapter 3 about that. Starting at verse 7, he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. You talk about a sense of anticipation. You talk about one that understands what it is to put away the temporary to only gain the eternal. Paul is a great example of that. And then he goes on describing it even further in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. He says this about his longing and his great anticipation of what our heavenly bodies are going to be like. If you have aches and pains today, Rest assured that those aren't eternal. If you're stiff in the morning, if you've got some problems with your body of some type, if you're a diabetic or if you've got a sore back or if you've got any lingering issue in your life, know that that's going to be gone, that that is a temporary affliction, and you are going to be set free from anything in your life that would hinder you today. And Paul, hallelujah is right, amen. And Paul goes on to say this in verse 1 of chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. He says, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, for we will put on heavenly bodies, and we will not be, we will not be spirits without bodies. Verse 4, while, while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh, don't we? <laughs> Do you groan and sigh? Do you ever get up in the morning groaning and sighing? Yes, yes. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So do you see what Paul's alluding to? Do you see where he's going here? He's not suicidal in his thoughts. He's not giving up on life. Rather, he's seeking the life-giving spirit that God promises as he opens up the gift of salvation. 
As he's opening up his gift, he's anticipating it, and he's anticipating all that heaven has in store for all eternity. And uh, that kind of makes me want to do the same thing. That kind of makes me want to have, I want that to be my attitude. You know, he also talks about something else that, that we can associate with. Maybe, maybe you're having a hard time associating with this. So let's talk about another, another uh, example that gives us. Paul talks also about being a citizen. And as a citizen of a country, we have all the rights of whatever that citizenship entails. In other words, if I'm an American citizen, it gives me the rights of voting. It gives me the rights of holding a public office. It, holds me, it gives me the rights of, of, of all the, the, the benefits of bearing arms and, and all the things that I want to do to protect myself. And there's a lot of rights when it comes to being an American citizen. But Paul says something else here about um, when we change citizenship from this world to the next world, how much more that meaningful that is. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, he says, But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take away our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his, his control. So do you see the anticipation here? Can you feel it? That we are citizens of this world, but it's really not that we're, that's not our goal. Our goal is not to remain a citizen here, but it's to change our citizenship to a heavenly citizenship. And when I do that, I have all the benefits of being a heavenly participant. Because now I can participate in heavenly things, even while I'm on earth, but my goal is limited to what earth offers. And even though this world, as we know, is spinning, and it's only going to continue to spin faster out of control because that's what we're living in, the end of the day, and the Bible tells us that. It's, only, it's not going to get better. We're, it's not going to turn into utopia. And so often, I think many people spend too much time trying to make it that. We spend too much time worrying about this world and this life and what's happening now. Not to say that's not important, but let's not get our focus there. Let's not get our hope there. In other words, we need to have a higher anticipation for what's to come, not just necessarily what this world is. So our anticipation needs to be directed to the future of what God has for us. And when I can keep my focus there, then I can start, not then I can start to really enjoy this life. When I can keep my focus on heavenly things, I have the ability to enjoy earthly things. Does that make sense? Can, does, can you appreciate it that way? I love what C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Joyful Christian. C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. I mean, what, what a timeless thought. That when I aim at heaven, when I keep my eyes focused on heaven, God throws in earth. And I can enjoy living on this earth now because I'm not bound to it. I'm not limited by what it provides because I'm, I'm a heavenly citizen now. My eyes are in heaven, but yet I can enjoy earth because I know that there's so much more that God has for me. So I can really enjoy what earth offers, but I'm not bound by it. 
But if I focus my life on earth, I get frustrated. I get anxiety. I get fear because I see it slipping through my fingers. And I get anxious about it because it's all I have. And so when I start aiming at earth or what this earth offers, I'll end up getting nothing. I'll miss heaven. And I really won't even be able to enjoy earth because I'm too worried about it. I'm too stressed out over it. What a terrible way to live, quite honestly. What a, what a, a, a frustrating way to live. So when I have heaven and all of its gifts, now I can fully appreciate all that that means. I can fully appreciate where it goes. And that takes me, area that takes me to appreciation. What is the next step of having a gift? I anticipate getting the gift. Now I'm going to move into the step of appreciation. You know what it's like when you open the gift on Christmas Day or your birthday gift or whatever it is? And you, op- you take the wrapping off and you look at it and it's that thing that you've really been wanting. You've really desired that and somehow Santa Claus knew. <laughs> or maybe your wife knew or somebody else knew that that's really what you wanted and so they loved you enough to go get you the gift and now that you have it, you now move from that of that nervousness of, or that anxiety of, man, I, I wonder if I'm going to get it. I wonder if I'm really going to get what I want to the fact that now I have it and it's mine and now I can appreciate it and I can, I can move from a, an anxious level to an appreciation level because now I know how I want to use it and how, I wanna, how it'll benefit me and hopefully if it's a good gift, it'll benefit others as well. But until I finally have that anticipated gift in my presence or in my possession, there's always a fear of or a concern of will I get it or not. You know, and some, it's sad because some people live their life that way with salvation. Some people live their life, am I really saved? Am I really going to make it to heaven? You know, it's not about how you feel about it. It's a biblical principle that when a person believes in Jesus and they confess your sins to Jesus, and you ask him to save you and forgive you, he, d- he does. And at that point in time, then you are transferred from an earthly citizenship to a heavenly citizenship, and you are saved, really, regardless how you feel about it. Some people, when they, their moments of salvation, it's, it's, it's ecstatic, and they're joyful, and it feels like a 1,000-pound a weight has been lifted off their shoulders, and they, they're joyful, and, and, and they, they weep, and they cry, and, and you see a great expression. Others don't. Others maybe appreciate it later. There's always going to come that appreciation, though, when you do get it. You're going to appreciate it, and you're not going to fear over it any longer. But the devil will always want to come and try to take it away from you. He'll always want to come and steal that joy and that appreciation and he'll lie to you about it. And that's what the devil does the best. He's a liar and he's a thief. So once I truly have that gift of eternal life, when I've opened the gift of salvation now and I've moved from the anticipation phase now into an appreciation phase, life changes a little bit for me now because now I'm not anxious about that. I know I'm saved I know I have a relationship with the Lord and I know he knows me and I can appreciate that. And that's where Paul goes in in Philippians chapter four. This is how he talks about it. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice, rejoice. 
And then he says in verse 5, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now that you have that gift that heaven promises, now you can begin to fully appreciate all that it offers. Because now you can have the joy of the Holy Spirit in your life no matter what's going on around you. It gives you an appreciation of eternity no matter what the problems are in your life, no matter what is happening is good or bad, you have an appreciation for the fact that you have a promise. What does appreciation do? Appreciation guards us from being tempted to think that what we have is not enough. Appreciation guards us from being tempted to think that what I have is not enough. You know, rich people struggle because they're afraid they're going to lose their wealth. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's not the money itself. It's the love of money. And when a person loves money, they are fearful all the time that they're going to run out of money. It's not going to be enough so that they always want more. And they will, the greed sets in and all of a sudden their life is consumed with getting more stuff, more money. Not a really comfortable way to live. Not a contented way to live at all. So appreciation, when I appreciate what I have, I'm not, I'm, I, I can get over the temptation of that what I have is not going to satisfy me long term. I can be contented in all things. Paul talked about that. It's interesting here that he also talks about that it's important, appreciation is important to guard both the heart and the mind. That it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that we have to guard our hearts and our minds? Think about this for a minute. Because the mind is the place where the devil works the most. It's where he twists God's truth and he perverts it from being a good thing to a not enough thing. He, he, he brings just enough doubt into it that we doubt God's goodness. And he brings all kinds of um, false information. Sometimes it's just enough to give me a false sense of security. Maybe he says, just, you're just good enough. Or he'll even tell you a lie to say you're not even good at all and that he'll destroy you from the inside out. So the mind is a place where the enemy works. So the old saying is that a, a, um, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. An idle mind is the devil's workshop because when you're not keeping your mind placed on godly things or in the word, if it's an idleness, that's where the devil plays because he'll come in and he'll spend all, he'll, he'll spend all kinds of wild stories in your mind. So guard your mind, right? Then the heart is the seat of our passions. It's where we feel things. We don't feel things in our mind. We think things in our mind, but we feel things in our heart. Right? It's, it's the seat of our passions. It's the seat of our self-worth. The Holy Spirit would live within us and tell us how worthy we are because of Jesus Christ. But the enemy would convince our hearts that we're worthless and we're not, anything, we're not worth anything more than being condemned. The lies that would infiltrate the heart 
But the Holy Spirit tells us otherwise because he comes into our heart and he tells you who you are. I love Romans chapter 8, beginning of verse 1. He says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life, hear me, the law of the Spirit of life set you free from the law of sin and death. So when you start feeling like you're not worthy, rememorize the scripture. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So don't let the enemy tell you that you're condemned. Don't let the enemy tell you that you're worthless. Because you're not. If, you, if Christ Jesus is in you, then you are a new person, a new creation. So now begin to appreciate the gift of what heaven brought you. Paul goes on in verse 9 of that same chapter. He says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if the Spirit of God is living in you. And Christ lives in you, so even, so when Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, your spirit, however, gives you life because you have been made right with God. I love it. We are, we're, we're changed from a dead man to a living man. That's what this gift is. It changes us from a dead person to a living person. And that's how I can start to appreciate the true gift of heaven is when I can begin to live in that revelation knowledge that I was once dead and now I'm now alive. I was once bound to sin and now I am free from the power of sin to continue to live a life of freedom in God's grace. I don't have to wait till I die to experience freedom. Even though my body may be racked with some pains and some, some, some struggles, that doesn't limit my freedom. My freedom started the moment I got saved. The moment I was changed from a dead man to a living man, I am free now to live a holy and blameless life with all the joy and all the benefit that, that brings me. And as I do that, I begin to appreciate that more. And when I appreciate, then I can begin to share the gift of Jesus to other people because they're seeing it in me. Does it make sense? Isn't that good? I love that. And that, that leads us then to the third phase. And the third phase of opening a gift is being thankful. Thankfulness. And I would say that being thankful is one of the best feelings I can think of. When I'm really thankful for something, I'm at peace. I'm contented because I don't have a desire for more because I'm thankful. It kind of fills me up. It kind of takes away my anxiety. It takes away all the things in me that would, would be afraid that I'm going to lose something because I'm thankful for what I have. It gives me the ability to get out of my self-absorbed mindset of ill-content and that I can begin to look forward to ways that I can help other people. Being a thankful heart is a, is, is a giving heart. A thankful heart is one that wants to help people. A thankful heart is not found in anything else rather than God's grace. There may be seasons of thankfulness, but it doesn't last long if it's not of God. 
But truly a thankful heart in the spirit of godliness is something that lasts forever. It brings worship to my spirit. It brings a sense of praise to my spirit. In fact, it's through a thankful heart is the only way I can really enter heaven's throne. I can't get to heaven's throne and anything else besides a thankful heart. The psalmist says this, Psalms chapter 100, the first five verses. He says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And then verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Isn't that a powerful verse or passage there? Let's really go back and look what the psalmist is saying. First of all, he says, shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth, shout for joy. You know, shouting is kind of an outdoor voice. <laughs> shout, you, you shout at somebody when you are a long distance away from somebody. You're shouting for something that maybe you haven't arrived in their presence of yet. So he's saying, shout for joy all the earth because you're not in heaven yet. So you got to shout so that heaven hears you. You're anticipating it. You're getting into the presence of heaven. So shout for joy all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. It's, it's starting to change your, your, your heart because now you're shouting with joy and you're getting a joyful song in your heart. But when you start to draw close to the person, it's amazing how your voice becomes more intimate. You don't have to shout anymore when you're with the person. My wife says I talk too loud sometimes and I'm talking and she goes, I'm right here. I'm in the same room with you. Why are you shouting? I'm not intending to shout. That's just maybe I'm losing my hearing. I don't know. But it's just when you're in someone's presence, you don't have to shout anymore. Now you can come with an intimate voice and you can look them in the eye and you can have a better relationship. And that's what, that's what the psalmist is saying here. He says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. It's kind of interesting how he uses sheep here in this, in this example because a few weeks ago we talked about the wide and the narrow roads, the wide gate, the narrow gate, and we said that Jesus is the narrow gate. That's why it's narrow because we have to come through Jesus. You know, another, um, another example of the gate is, is given when, as a shepherd, a shepherd leads his sheep by day into the flocks, into the fields, and at night he brings them into the pasture, he brings them into the corral, and you have to come through the gate. And again, that's a word picture of Jesus being the gate. And then the sheep are safe as they pass through the gate, and he protects them. So we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving. That's the, that's the most important part of a gift receiving, I believe, is a thankfulness. When I can move past the, the uh, anticipation and the appreciation and get into the true thankfulness of the gift, 
I think we've arrived. I think we're there. I think that's what God, I think that's where he wants to take us. When I can get into that thankfulness, because now I can come before him and I can come into his presence because thankfulness prepares and enables one to enter the presence of God. It prepares us. It is the thing that takes us into the presence of God. A thankful heart is when it leads into worship. And it's regardless how, how I feel. God is always worthy no matter how I feel. My feelings don't impact heaven. My sense of frustration, my sense of, God, I don't feel like praising you right now. I'm overwhelmed with life. I, I don't feel worthy. To, I mean, all these feelings that we have, we battle them on a regular basis. I do, so I'm assuming you do too. That we have a sense of times that we just don't feel worthy to come into the presence of God. So how do we do that? How do we do that? We come in with a thankful heart. We begin our prayer time with thanksgiving. And we start thanking him for all that he is. We start thanking him for all that he's offered us. We start thanking him for our health and our strength and the fact that I, I have the ability to, to walk and talk and breathe and, and all the things that we have. And I start thanking him. And as I start to thank him, you know what happens? My joy starts to rise in my heart. I start to have an appreciation of him. Sometimes we need to be thankful for the gift before we get it. And let the thankfulness lead us into an anticipation. Let the thankfulness lead us into an appreciation because when I'm thankful, then I can come into the presence of the Lord. Isn't that good? That I don't have to wait till my feelings. No, I, I control my feelings. I command my feelings. And I say, okay, feelings, you may not be feeling good right now. Maybe, you've, maybe you're not feeling well. Maybe you've got some other issues going on. But be thankful. Be thankful. And when you start to control yourself that way, when you start to command yourself to be thankful, you will become thankful. Your feelings will follow your intentions. Thank you. Your feelings will follow your intentions. And I find that to be so effective when I come into my prayer times in the morning. Quite often, I come in depressed. I come in discouraged. You know that. You do too. But when I can start to be thankful, life changes seasons change and then i can really begin to feel the presence of the lord so jackie if you'd come as we begin to wind this message down this christmas and new year season i pray that we can learn how to appreciate anticipate appreciate and be thankful for the gifts of heaven god has given us so much amen i mean he really has blessed us can you think of anything that you really need that you don't have you may have want some things you don't have but is there something that you really need and you don't have no that's god's grace then when i appreciate that it keeps me there that i don't start to be thinking about oh god i i don't get my feelings of my needs and my wants confused because i'm thankful and I can do exactly what he says in verse 4 of 100. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So I just want to pray for us this morning that we would have that thankful heart, that we would really begin to let that become our primary motivation. Let that become our motivator. 
thankfulness. I believe that is the key to living a successful Christian life is to have a heart of gratitude and a heart of thankfulness. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we are so thankful that we have a relationship with you. Because now when I have a relationship with you, I know that you know my name. I know that you know my needs. And God, I'm not always proud of what you see when you look at me. But God, I'm thankful that you love me enough that you forgive me. That you don't hold me at bay because I'm not good enough. That's what forgiveness does. That's what Jesus did on the cross for me is that he's covered me with the blood. And so now when you look upon me, you see a a man, you see a son covered by the blood of Jesus, and that's righteousness. And because of that righteousness and because of a thankful heart, I can come into your presence. And I can truly begin to worship you because you're so worthy of it. And God, I pray that we would begin to appreciate that more. I pray that our hearts would be filled with thankfulness more and more. And that we'd be able to walk in that on a daily basis. God, I just pray that we, our hearts truly would be grateful and thankful. And Lord, when we come into those times and those seasons of life where we're just not able to, I pray that you would just send your Holy Spirit to empower us even more so to get out of our own little pity party and to begin to appreciate all that you've done for us. Thank you for your heavenly gifts. And I just pray, God, you just bathe us in your presence now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing the song that Jackie's playing. Give thanks. And uh, let's just uh, worship him for a few minutes here. Stand with me, if you will.
Father, we are just so thankful for who you are today. Thank you, Lord, for the mercy and grace that you've given us. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. So thankful that you have provided everything that we need and so often even, even what we want. God, when, when my heart's lined up with you, it's amazing how my needs and my wants kind of go together. Kind of, they kind of meld together where all of a sudden I'm really contented now because I, I have what I want even as much as is what I need. I thank you for that. I thank you for that gift. And I pray your blessings on us today. And I just thank you for all that you do for us. And I just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now, being the last...